0: The Lessons Learned for Vets podcast is proud to be brought to you by AFMA, the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. Established in 1879, they are the longest standing nonprofit association empowering military families with affordable financial solutions for generations. Offering life insurance, wealth management, mortgages, survivor assistance, and other benefits, AFMA is here to support you through every stage of life. AFMA is dedicated to helping service members be financially and logistically ready for life after the military. To support you in this process, AFMA would like to offer you their free downloadable transition timeline, a step-by-step guide to help you create a comprehensive military transition plan. Let AFMA help you get ready for your next step by visiting afma.com backslash LL4V that's A-A-F-M-A-A dot com slash l the number four V or clicking the link in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome to the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, your military transition debrief from the veteran mentors who have gone before you. My name is Lori Norris, and I've been teaching veterans how to successfully navigate their military transition since 2005. I'm bilingual, but instead of a foreign language, I'm a civilian who speaks the language of all branches of the US military. I've used this unique skill to help thousands of veterans And today, I want to help you navigate the hidden opportunities and unseen risks you may face during your own transition from the military. This is the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast.
1: When I reached out to that individual to get that job, he had just transitioned as well. So he didn't have 20 years to pull from to get influence, to get my resume to the right people to vouch for me. I'm sure he did, but he was only a year in the seat too. He didn't have this broad sort of, he hadn't built up that, that value and that sort of professional social currency that's traded back and forth. That's what networking essentially is. It's You've done this for me in the past, or you've provided this person. You're always a good source of people. I can trust your judgment. I'll give that person a look no matter what. And that's what the military kind of does. It insulates military members from that network as well.
0: On today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, I'm welcoming Chris McGee. Chris is a retired United States Air Force veteran whose career was focused in aircraft maintenance. Though he held several roles after retiring in 2018, in 2019, he moved to Maine and enrolled in law school. While he pursues his law degree, he launched his own podcast last year focused on Air Force and Air Force maintenance culture called 20 Years Done. Chris took a big chance and enrolled in law school after completing his military career to pursue his childhood dream at the age of 40. He shares not only how he made this decision, but how he believes his Air Force career was critical to his success in this new pursuit of his. The lessons he shares at the end of the episode are truly valuable, so stick around to the end because I know that what Chris shares is going to be useful to you. Chris, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today with us.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, we always start the show with your transition story. So you have, uh, as we talked about earlier, made a big pivot. So tell us about how the transition went for you.
1: So mine was really interesting. And, uh, I, I think I, I probably experienced similar uh, situations and emotions as a lot of transitioning veterans, especially somebody that has retired after a 20-year career, I mistakenly assumed that I would be able to walk into a job because of this broad, you know, this long background behind me of of accomplishments in my military career. And I started uh, working through those automated application systems, and I really discovered that I didn't understand keywords and tailoring it to, to get to a human person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I ended up I got lucky because uh, I ended up getting an f16 I, so I worked f16 maintenance and uh, in the Air Force and I got a job doing f16 maintenance again as a contractor basically as a stopgap for me to begin my actual transition to what I wanted to do, which ultimately was uh, law school and to become an attorney.
0: okay so it was a bit of a challenge for you when you first transitioned how How long would you say you can kind of struggle with that process and what were some of the biggest obstacles you faced?
1: So for me, you know, like most people that had done a long career, I had a lot of leave saved up. So the first month was a decompression period. Went to and with the family and just kind of uh, de-stressed for a month. And then the next month, it was okay. Let me start getting a job. And after two weeks of no responses, I started to get a little bit concerned. Um, and then I ended up and and. It goes to what you talk about all the time, what a lot of people describe on LinkedIn, your network is going to do the heavy lifting for a job search much more than blindly submitting applications to certain things. Uh, So I found out about the job doing contract maintenance, where in, in the Phoenix area, and I kind of shot an email off to him. It wasn't through like an automated system. It was, Hey, I got your info from, and I name dropped like four employees. Um, and I said, I hope it's not too forward for me to email you directly, but I, this is my, I give a quick background. Uh, and then he fired back with, Hey, let's get you in for an interview and, and, um, you know, send me your resume as well. And then I went in and sat down and for me, uh, I'm not sure I'm I'm probably an outlier, but Every job I've ever interviewed for in my life, I've received an offer from. But every job I've applied for, I have not gotten an interview for. So the real challenge for me is getting into the interview. If I can get into the interview, I typically perform very well. Uh, but for me, I after 20 years of essentially atrophying those civilian employment muscles, mental muscles, and, and social muscles, I didn't know how to navigate the application process. Never mind the fact that. I joined the Air Force in 1998 and now it was 2018. And the processes for getting a job in 1998 are vastly different from the process in 2018. So that was the biggest challenge for me was just getting into the interview and I ended up using my network to do it.
0: And tell me why you think you excelled so much at the interview. What was it about your interviewing skills that you feel like every time you got that interview, you landed the job?
1: Well, I think it's, you know, I didn't necessarily tailor my my thoughts and. To the job specifically, I just really tried to understand if, if I wanted, if I wanted, if I was going to hire me, what are some of the things that I'd want this person to demonstrate and to know? Um, and I used that in the subsequent job that I got uh, when I moved up to Maine. I got a job outside Boston. Unfortunately, the commute was just more than I could bear. But the job itself was radically different from aircraft maintenance. Mm-hmm. And I initially applied for a lower level technician job because I wasn't picky. I just needed to get a job that would pay the bills and. Um, the person that interviewed me had said, hey, you know, w- would you rather be a supervisor? You, it seems like you have all these sorts of skills and this experience. I think you do really good at it. And from that interview, it was basically I explained troubleshooting theory, how it's universal. I can fix a microwave just like I can fix a car. I can fix a jet. I can fix, you know, anything else. So it's eliminating variables and understanding that. And that applied very broadly in a lot of different jobs. And the trick for an inter- for, for me, the trick for an interview was, uh, understanding how what i learned in the military can be transformed or translated to this particular job and explain how i use it in the military and how i can use it for this job
0: i think those are you've made some really valuable points that i want to hit on first of all you said you put yourself in the interviewer's shoes right what would they want to know from me and i think oftentimes we go into that interview thinking well i have to go in and talk about myself and they wanna know all about me. And that's really, that's so so far from the truth. They wanna know how you can help them, right? They wanna talk about their needs. They wanna talk about their problems and how are you the solution to those problems? So I think that was a great point of putting yourself in their shoes and really thinking about things from their perspective. That's important.
1: And then, you know, kind of tangentially related to that is, you have to be really honest in your resume. Like it needs to be the exact experience you had. yeah, you can you can fluff a few words here and there to kind of flourish it a little bit. But when they would ask specific questions about uh, processes, process improvement, uh, you know program oversight, I had paragraphs, not necessarily written, but in my in my mind ready to go to talk about what I did, why I did it, what was the motivation for it. What was the outcome? What, how much money did I save? How many man hours did I save? What ended up being the mission impact? And then also shifting the conversation from mission because very often that's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't land well in a civilian employment. It's mm-hmm. what was the customer outcome? And I had to really understand that when I was working aircraft maintenance in the military, my customers were the pilots. I had to give them a product that they could use just like their customers. Ironically, where their targets on the ground and indirectly the American people in the military. You do have customers. It's just understanding who that customer is and then tailoring your response in these in these sort of civilian employment discussions. To um, mission is essentially customer. You just got to find a way to shoehorn it in.
0: That's great advice. I, I will say that you know you also talked about um, having your stories ready, right? And I, I don't believe in sitting down and rehearsing interview answers, but I really believe in having your stories prepared to talk about your skills. And like you said, that you know that kind of challenge, action, result, what was the challenge you faced? What was the task you were given? The mission objective, if you will, what action did you take? And what was the result, the outcome? Because you're right, employers really do care about that result you know, we front load our resume bullets with results, and we really have to talk about the impact and the results in the interview as well. So that's really good advice.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, when we talked last time, you, you gave me some, your insight into some interrelated issues that military service members face in the transition. And you talked about kind of your theories of the circle of, in circles of influence that you see kind of surrounding transitioning service members. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of came up with this idea, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not a scholar by any stretch of imagination. I worked aircraft maintenance for 20 years uh, and now I'm in law school. Um, But in my own experience from my transition, like I, I knew I was gonna move to Maine. I knew I was gonna go to law school. That was the plan from, as soon as I got my bachelor's degree at the tail end of my career, I was like, okay, now it's law school and everything's gonna move in place to get there. And I found a aerospace company, 30 minutes, 45 minutes from the law school. And it was a company, their equipment I'd worked with for 20 years. And I was essentially a subject matter expert on it. And I wanted to work there. I thought that would be easy. And I applied for like a bench mechanic job on third shift on the weekends, like the least desirable position. I was like, this is, I'm not gonna like try to assume I'm a supervisor material or anything. And part of it was that automated system i wasn't good at navigating it my my resume did not have the the keywords that i needed so i was really kind of throwing myself at the process and then i found some people that i'd served with in the military and reached out to them and asked them if they could hey can you get just get this in front of somebody if i can talk to somebody i'm sure they'll be interested in hiring me i'm not looking for this glamorous job i just need to get some work uh, the big stumbling point was I couldn't purchase a house in Maine until I had proof of employment in Maine. So like there was this, I'm so used to the military where it's, you can buy houses wherever because your employment is global. Right. And you know, when you move from one place to place, buying a house is usually not an issue. And I reached out to a few people and I realized they, they, they had the great, they had the greatest intentions. They were people I had served with. They knew the quality of my work and my character but their network was just, and I use the word shallow, but I don't mean like shallows and superficial. The reality was they didn't have depth to their network because they like me had been isolated in a military society. Like my military network within the military was huge, especially when you work on a specific airframe exclusively, you know, all the bases your jet is at, and you know, all the people who work there, your name precedes you. When I PCS somewhere, they knew who I was coming in. They had positions ready for me. And I knew who I was gonna work with. I knew the interplay there. So my network was great in the military. And that's when I kind of realized that there's like, I call it like the concentric ring theory. I'm not sure if that's anything actual, but that's what I call it. (laughs) So if I were to get a job in the military, like if the smallest ring is what I imagine, I have the most impact and influence over because these are people I've served with. They know my AFSC, they know my qualifications, they know all of my things. Mm -hmm. i can probably get a job and then if i was to separate the next ring would probably be the military industrial complex lockheed martin uh northrop grumman people that especially if it's aircraft specific to the aircraft i worked on it's old supervisors that have since retired or separated uh people that work for me to understand i would probably have a really good chance and that's actually that second ring that's where i got my first job separating, it was working F 16 contract maintenance, where I touched five or six people that were in the unit that used to be my supervisor work with me, immediately got the job, because they had depth because some of that military network was accessible from that next ring out. And then I would say the next ring out from that would be uh, civilian sector, but near industry. So for me working F sixteens for 20 years, it would be, you know, working for the airlines. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's probably a little harder to get because you know, now there's certifications that I that weren't necessary for that contract work. I, I didn't need an A.M.P. license to work in F-16 maintenance uh, contract. They just needed F-16 experience. But now I'm trying to move into that that industry. The next ring out, there's going to be less people in the network available, or they're going to be they're they're going to have a the less influence over that network. And now there's certifications that I might have to get. Um, and then the final, you know, another ring. Actually, probably not the final ring out. The next ring out from that would be you know, blue, in my case, blue collar, Mm -hmm. but not aircraft related. So now my network is even more shallow, sort of, where you get really lucky. And then the final ring out from that would probably be an unrelated field, unrelated sort of environment, white collar with with no real network. So the way I viewed it was when I reached out to that individual to get that job, he had just transitioned as well So he didn't have 20 years to pull from to get influence to get my resume to the right people to vouch for me. I'm sure he did, but he was only a year in the seat, too. He didn't have this broad sort of he hadn't built up that that value and that sort of professional social currency that's traded back and forth. That's what networking essentially is. It's you've done this for me in the past or you've provided this person. You're always a good source of people. I can trust your judgment. I'll give that person a look no matter what. And that's what the military kind of does. It insulates military members from that network as well. Uh, So then I realized it just is going to require extra work that the network isn't going to be there. And then in hindsight, I wished I had expanded my network long before I retired, which for me is engaging on LinkedIn, which doesn't mean just liking posts. It means (laughs) um, commenting. And then LinkedIn is a different animal. You need to comment smartly. You need to comment in such a way that provides insight, but doesn't you know, belie a bias or political or religious or any of those things. So it's very kind of difficult. And then for me, especially going from aircraft maintenance to law, my LinkedIn algorithm can't figure out who I'm supposed to be connected (laughs) to at all whatsoever is making recommendations from the legal community and the, in the air force aircraft maintenance community. And I'm accepting both. So I think I broke my LinkedIn profile now because it doesn't know what to give me.
0: Okay. So, that, you know, and I, I really like your thought of like, as the circle gets bigger, your level of in, influence, your contacts, your ability to rely on your network gets less, right? And also the relevance of your experience as it directly relates to exactly what you did, right? So at that point, when you get to those outer circles, what would you say you would rely on to have Greater success because obviously you're making a big pivot in your life. So, what you know, if you if you think about kind of the pivot from aircraft maintenance to law school, um, which you know you started law school after you retired from the Air Force. Like, what are your insights for people that want to make that same type of pivot, and how to take advantage of those outer rings of the circles?
1: So I guess it's, you know, I guess the best way is there's a, there's a pathway typically through the rings is what I'll say. And so for me, it was, I very much relied on my veteran status, which is much easier said than done, right? Like, I think a lot of people uh, rely on their veteran status and think it's just, gonna I mean, I did it. I thought my veteran status would get me that job at that aerospace company in Maine. And it was, it absolutely fell flat. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can't, it's not a, it's not a golden ticket, I'll say, but When I applied for that job outside Boston, it was medical manufacturing working on robotics. It was so far removed from F-16 maintenance, but it was, I basically explained my troubleshooting theory, uh, understanding operations uh, and and paying attention to isolation. But the second piece was they were specifically looking for aircraft maintenance veterans because the medical manufacturing is a federally regulated sort of field and they assumed that if you could turn a wrench and troubleshoot systems on a jet under federal regulations, you know, Air Force regulations are, you know, like, you know, subservient a, a bit to FAA regulations. So we all kind of adhere to those things. That And there's a certain amount of discipline, especially when it comes to medical manufacturing. When you work on jets, if you cut a corner, it might kill someone. In medical manufacturing, if you cut a corner, it might kill someone. So that job mm-hmm. is specifically looking for veterans. And I played up the abilities and my talents specific to that and how I could directly translate my experience in aircraft maintenance to it. And unfortunately the commute for me was just prohibitive. It was a great company. I loved every second of it, but I had to leave because I was commuting five hours a day and it just wasn't feasible. And for anybody, the (laughs) next place I applied to was a, a university as an academic advisor, which is probably the farthest ring out But the job was working for a program at at the University of Southern Maine called Veterans Upward Bound, where their job was to help first generation college veterans, veterans that had no family parents with a college degree that were low income growing up, get in, help them navigate the application process and get into college. And for me, my veteran status got me the interview. I was a veteran, I had a degree and I had a resume that showed a lot of public speaking and, and teaching experience. So that was something that they were interested in. I went in for the interview. I talked about how I'm a first generation high school student, college student, and now law student, and I grew up low income. So I, I understood the experience a lot of these veterans are going through. If I didn't have my undergraduate degree, I'd probably be a participant or candidate in this program. Um, so once again, that was the veteran status got me in the door. And it actually helped me as an advisor too, because it was, I could speak the language of the veteran. I could understand certain things, Uh, but it informed me and it got me the interview. And that's how I transitioned to that academic white collar sort of role. And then moving into law school, since it was the same university I worked at, it was, I can just kind of build contacts. I understand how the GI Bill and education benefits work. So I'm ready to go into law school. And then once again, I use my veteran status to apply for a summer internship at a at a VA disability firm here in Maine, okay. where I talked about my own, you know, experience working with the VA and compensation claims, and and it was just a quick. This is how the process works. This is what I understand. And my interview was: I read your cover letter. I don't have any questions. What do you want to know? And essentially, it was: <laughs> you're going to get offered this this job. Um, and once again, it was finding from my own experience, what would work best? What would slot into this position that I can use? Um, So for me, each time it was essentially my veteran status, but as I learned, it wasn't a golden ticket.
0: And I think that it's never, a well, I won't say never, very rarely a golden ticket. But I think that if you learn to leverage the experience that you gained as a veteran and showcase how being a veteran can be a value to where you're applying, I think that that really does help, doesn't it? So it's a matter of not relying on it, but learning to leverage it. You agree?
1: I agree, yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And I think you've done a really good job of that. Um, if, could you walk us through, You know, how did you make the decision at this point in your life, in your career to make this big change, right? So you've retired from the Air Force, you, you went and did some maintenance work and decided now you're in law school. And um, so tell tell us how you made that decision to take that direction in your life.
1: So I actually wanted to be an attorney in like high school, but I didn't have the financial or probably the maturity in order to get through it, I don't think. Uh, So I turned to the military as a kind of out from my my current uh, situation. Like most people are supposed to be a four or six year stint, call it a day, and then 20 years later, I find myself retired. (laughs) And I wasn't mechanically inclined. Like if you look at my ASVAB scores, mechanical was my lowest, but I qualified for aircraft maintenance. So that's kind of where I went. And I had to get smarter at it and and get better at it. Um, So, and then I began working on my bachelor's degree while I was in the service because it's like, I'm going to use these education benefits while I'm getting it. And it was very much a, like most things in life, most things in the military, it's one foot in front of the other. And you don't necessarily look at the top of the mountain. You just look at the next bend or the next step. And I was getting classes done. And, you know, you don't, you don't feel the progress is happening. But when you get those classes done, you start moving that direction. Next thing you know, you're getting close to graduation. It's like, well, what did I, what did I want to do here? And I had mentioned to a mentor, a chief that I had worked with, that I was almost done with my degree. And I'd always kind of wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't know if I'd want to do it. And he said to me, I think you'd be a great uh, attorney. I think, the way you think and and how you see things differently and how you advocate for people and how passionate you are i think you'd be a fantastic attorney so for me that was like the nudge Mm -hmm. right off i'm like okay i guess i'm doing it and you know i started just doing the application process I, i did the the lsat the law school admissions test and And I I figured out I wanted to move to Maine. So I looked at the scores I needed and the GPA I needed. And I moved to Maine before I applied to law school. And then I went to apply and I freaked out. And I was like, what if they deny me? And I've moved my whole family to Maine on the premise that I'm going to go to this law school. And I kind of blew it. And I got accepted. And then the first day of law school, I mean, I I think everybody has an imposter syndrome when you're going into such a, a sort of competitive and academically rigorous sort of endeavor, but I had my entire undergraduate degree was online. It felt like it was, it was easy. I felt like Mm -hmm. I wasn't challenged. And then I was walking into a real law school with doctrinal classes, with cold calling with the first day was like 90 pages of reading of old English civil procedure. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to make it. This isn't, this isn't going to work. This is a huge mistake. But again, like everything else is one foot in front of the other now i'm almost two-thirds of the way through looking at probably doing a master's degree afterwards in law just because i still yeah. have some benefits um, so this is the culmination of a 22-year detour from a dream from high school that now i have the financial resources and the life experience and i kind of found that my life experience really gives me a huge benefit in in class and in school i mean i bought houses i dealt with the military justice system as a supervisor mm-hmm. You know, I understand, uh, you know, I'm 40, I was 30, 40 years old when I started. I'm 42 now. Uh, I have financial security. I don't have to chase top grades in the class because I don't need to get a $100,000 a year job because I have. I won't have any student loan debt when I, when I graduate. So there's a lot of privilege, earned privilege, but privilege mm-hmm. that allows me to kind of decompress. And then I'm also viewing law school through the lens of I got my undergraduate degree while I was working twelve to fifteen hour days on on night shift, doing aircraft maintenance, and you know, struggling with all that stuff. Now my job is just to go to school full time. It just seems easier. It right. just seems much, much easier.
0: I think that um, I, I really like your perspective on the value of your the maturity that you bring, right? The life experience, and and you know, if you think about if you had pursued that pursued a law degree when you were 18 and didn't have that life experience. I wonder if you would have walked out, at, you know, in that first week when they gave you the assignments that they gave you.
1: Maybe. I mean, in order to survive in, air, in order, not to sort of survive in aircraft maintenance, but in order to have a prolific career in aircraft maintenance, work ethic is the, the baseline sort of thing that has to be done, especially in the military. You can't say no, you don't have a choice. There's a lot of hours. There's a lot of shift changes, and it's just a really demanding job. So I I assume I probably had work ethic when I joined the military, but no doubt that was honed through the crucible of aircraft maintenance. And now I'm coming out the other side in law school and the effort required is much lower than it, it took me for for my job. I mean, when I retired, you know, towards the end of my career. I was a lead production superintendent. I was in charge of a fleet of F-16s valued at $625 million with 300 personnel, all trying to coordinate to get these mission things done under under like sequestration and austere sort of resource conditions. So going to a class for three hours to learn about, you know, future interest in pop- property. Okay. I don't I get, get it, but I can raise my <laughs> hand and it can't be any worse than dropping a sortie, you know, or losing a line or something.
0: Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and that's great. So, I think that so many people think, well, it's too late for me. Like, I can't make a change at this point. You know, I mean, you have a whole career ahead of you, and I think it's never too late. You know, I think you're a great, you know, example of how even though you're doing this later in your career in your life, that it's just going to make you better at something that's always been a dream of yours.
1: I think that's important too. Like. I used to ask people, you know, one of my fears was I would get out of the military and I would just do what I did in the military. And that, that might be somebody's dream. Some people join the military specifically to work on F-16s and that's, that's great. And if they want to get out and make good money doing that and support, um, you know, national security through contract work or, or other things, more power to you. But for me, I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to do something different. I didn't want my life to be defined as just an aircraft mechanic. And I knew that I would probably look back on my life with regret for not trying and not putting forth that effort and challenging myself. Mm -hmm. And it very much goes back to, I used to ask airmen when they were getting ready to separate or they didn't know what to do. I'd be like, well, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, let's go back to before the military (laughs) told you what you're going to do for the military. Or even when you first got the inkling of you were going to join the Air Force, what was that thing that you, what job did you imagine yourself doing in the Air Force? Because a lot of times that's going to inform you for what your passions were before the Air Force slotted you into this particular silo and says this is what you're going to do. Um, so in my case, it was I was interested in paralegal, the job wasn't available, and I came into aircraft maintenance. So, once again, that was reinforced of getting out and doing something different. As for the too late to start, I guess we'll know in like two years if uh, <laughs> if it works or not. Um, but, but again, I have the benefit of my military retirement and pension and no student loans. Yeah. So I don't need to make, a, you know, a whole lot of money to pay off this debt and keep myself afloat. I have that supplemental income from the military. My health insurance is TRICARE, so it's much lower. You know, there's a lot of benefits and privileges that I'm going to leverage in order to pick a job that I enjoy. I, this is a chance for, for me to pick my destiny, which a lot of veterans never got to experience in the military. And I'm going to make sure it's the path that I want.
0: And even you know, like you said, we'll see in two years if it works. And you may complete your degree and find that you want to do something different with the knowledge that you gained in law school, and that's okay. Because, like right. you said, you have you're coming out without the debt of the student loans. You're coming out with a, a pension and you know lower cost healthcare and all of that. So I think it puts yourself puts you in a great spot. And if I could just say anything to the people listening is that you know don't cross things off the list because of where you're at in your life and your, what your age is. Or, you know, it's if, I think if there is something that, like, like you said, what, what did you want to do when you were younger? And if there is that something in your heart that's calling to you, look into it and see if it's something that you can make happen. So I, I think that's great. So um, you and I have something in common in that we are both podcast hosts. So a little bit before I launched mine, you yourself launched a podcast. So tell us a little bit about your show.
1: So when I retired, there was this kind of uh, need to download my experiences into some sort of digestible format. So uh, I think three days after I retired, I wrote my first blog post on 20yearsdone.com. And the whole point of that was to talk about, and initially it was to talk about an experience that I had at at professional military education in 2010 that I hadn't been able to talk about before and some people read it and I it was more than just my friends like it it traveled a little bit and I was like this is weird why would anybody care about what I'm doing and then I kind of bounced back and forth between stories of leaders that that didn't meet the needs of the mission of the people and then I would I would Juxtapose against leaders that were fantastic, that had qualities that I wish I could emulate. I wrote about one gentleman, a, a chief master, it's been on my podcast a few times, Jim Tibbetts, about how approachable he was, which is so difficult in aircraft maintenance because it's such a high stress, high ops tempo environment. that He still managed to be approachable. And that's something that I failed at through most of my career. And I really wanted to understand, deconstruct how he did that. And I kind of bounced back between those. And then I moved into commentary about the direction of the Air Force and, and things are doing right and things are doing wrong and trying to signal boost and amplify the voice of aircraft maintenance where they just because of the nature of the military they didn't have a voice they needed somebody on the outside recently that could say this is what's going on and then law school happened which involves a lot of reading a lot of writing and it made me uh, resent it's probably not the right word but just dis- uh, i don't know i was i was adver- adverse to writing at that point mm-hmm. um and then when the pandemic hit i one, I, I didn't know how long it was going to be, I think in June or something, I hosted some discussions between some some aircraft, retired aircraft maintenance people to talk about their experiences. And let's download what is, you know, how to run a quality assurance in a section, what works and what doesn't work, and what are the influences, and then production, and then flight chief. And then I uh, talked about women's experience in maintenance, right? A panel of three women veterans and what is it like in aircraft maintenance? Um and started having the discussions, low quality audio, I had no, it was literally just Zoom videos going up on Facebook, like an hour and a half long of a bunch of retirees sitting around talking. And then uh, I realized that it's, it's really hard to latch people to Facebook. So, and I literally just dumped the raw audio into an RSS feed and created a podcast just to make it more convenient for the people who are already watching the videos. And then it turned, I don't know, whatever, and then week after week I started doing these and then I bought some gear to make it sound a little bit better. So if anybody goes back and listens like the first seven episodes, it's not it's not <laughs> going to sound like this at all. And also because I I didn't know what it was at the time. And now I'm on episode, I think I'm releasing episode 37 next week. I'm sticking to a okay. weekly schedule. You know, part of that was I ended up starting a Patreon page to kind of give people certain benefits, you know, episode shout outs and, and things. And thankfully, that those subscribers, those paid subscribers are my engine for producing content every week, because it's hard for me to slack off when people are paying me money for what I'm doing, right. (laughs) So thank you to them. I appreciate it. Like it keeps me motivated, keeps me going. And now, like I said, I'm in episode 37. Uh, Most recent one was talking about Air Force stand downs, one before that was talking about uh, PT tests in the Air Force. Now, I will say that I was a 20 year aircraft maintainer, and I'm mostly talking to veterans and maintainers. So the language is a bit salty, so if that's something that somebody uh, doesn't mind or it speaks to them, you're come on aboard. Uh, as Lori, as you pointed out, when you listen to it, you're like, "You cuss in your intro, right?" And I'm like, "I do. Yes,
0: he does. I drop an F bomb <laughs> within the
1: first thirty seconds of the show, and it sets the tone for the rest of it. So, uh, if that's something that doesn't bother you, uh, it's it's a good it's good content, especially for aircraft maintainers.
0: I think that anyone coming out of the military probably has heard that language before once or twice in their career.
1: It's mostly adjectives. It's it's adding color and emphasis to the points <laughs> I'm making. That's so, right. It's not too harsh. It's just, you know, adult language.
0: Yep. It's the maintainer language. That's okay. It is. It's, uh, it's your. I think your intro has radio chatter from the flight re- flight line, right? Yeah, that was. From, I sourced
1: that from, Uh, you know, I put an all, a call out to the followers on my Facebook page. I'm like, hey, I want like audio from the flight line because I want people to hear it. And, you know, I licensed some music and I got some sound effects. And it's essentially aircraft launches in the truck and the jet comeback code three. So I think any maintainer that listens to the intro will be like, okay, I want to listen to the rest of this because yeah. this is essentially... <laughs> Work chat, yeah.
0: So if you're missing the flight line, definitely check out 20 Years Done, right? Yeah, so. that's, that's fair. <laughs> Willing to your show in the show notes as well. So yeah, thank just you. to put a kind of a, a bow on the episode to wrap everything up, what are some of your just overall lessons that you've learned in the the process that you've traveled over the last few years that you want to share with the listeners today?
1: So I guess the best advice I can give almost like in a bullet point format is um, get spun up on the automated application system for companies. Understand how that works because that's going to gatekeep and prevent you from getting a lot of opportunities if you don't understand the nuance and that a lot of times reaching out to a professional will help you do that. Um, It's money well spent in my opinion. The second piece is Understand that your veteran status is not a golden ticket, but if you can understand how your experience as a veteran can create a doorway for you, if you can leverage that, it'll probably serve you well. Uh, the third bullet point is um, know know what you want to do, know what you always want to do, know what speaks to you before the military decided what was best for you. I know it's super scary to go and do a job that you don't have a lot of experience doing. I mean, I'm moving 20 years aircraft maintenance to the legal profession, but that's what I want to do. And, you know, we do a lot of scary things in the military transitioning is scary and it feels like you're all alone, but doing the safe thing that you don't enjoy, I think you're ultimately going to regret. So what I would advise is be bold because this is the one life you kind of get and use it to the best of your ability. And then, you know, much like the concentric sort of experience, understand how your network sort of fades, the further removed you get from the military and your industry and like, what I wish I had done is build a legal network years before I transitioned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe I didn't know I was going to go to Maine, but there's certainly people to follow, not even necessarily on, on LinkedIn. That's great, but I also have a whole other legal network on Twitter where there's legal scholars that I follow and engage in conversation, and I get a lot out of that from those interactions. Build that network early. So that way, when it comes time for your, when I say early, I'm talking like five plus years. If you know where you're going to land, in fairness, before I retired, I, I didn't know I was going to do law. I was towards the end. But in, in hindsight, I wish I would have, have known this and done this. Um, to do those to in order to do that bold thing that, you, that speaks to you, you got to prepare early and you got to start building that network early because you need depth of your network. And you're not going to mm-hmm. get that if you start building it right when you separate.
0: I think that's great. And it, it I think it also, by doing that, it strengthens those, the path through those circles, as you talked about earlier, right? It does. So I think that is great advice. Yeah, (laughs) less scary and it is a smoother process, right? The path is, it lights the path and it it makes it a nice strong foundation underneath. So I think that those are all great points and I appreciate you sharing them with us because those are lessons that you learned the hard way. So uh, that is my goal, is to bring some of those lessons learned the hard way To educate and inform those that are going to travel that path behind you so thank you for that i appreciate it
1: yeah absolutely thank you
0: thank you for uh, being on the show and uh, if you're missing the flight line go check out 20 years done with chris uh, which we will link to in the show notes so thanks for joining us on this show today chris all
1: right thank you Lori.
0: thank you for listening to today's episode of lessons learned for vets learned just one lesson today and you believe can help smooth your path during your transition from the military and i have done my job if you haven't already please click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode while you're at it leave us a review and share our podcast with your friends connect with me on linkedin and join the lessons learned for vets facebook community to tell me what lesson you learned today see you next time